This is the Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. Also, the first playoff edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I had to just throw that in there, boys, because I keep hearing that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year for me. This is the most wonderful time of the year. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Jesse Granger, who's in Vegas, and Mike Russo in Dallas. How are we, boys? Jesse. Oh, pretty good. I just took a short little nap after the playoff game last <laughs> night, uh, ready ready to record here. Uh, I think I just got back from the arena a couple hours ago, but yeah, I'm ready. Uh, luckily, playoff hockey is better than coffee. Yeah, that's uh, how we felt the other night. Uh, the Wild played a double overtime game. We left the arena probably like 3, 3.30 in the morning and was up by 7, Joe Smith and me. And uh, we are praying that that does not happen again tonight because we have 6 a.m. flight home tomorrow. Like, if it happens again tonight, like the other night, we would have to literally come back to our hotel, grab our bags, and go to the airport. You, you know, it's funny. We always just assume we're not going to get a lot of sleep during during this time. And I used to hate, before I got married, people who used to say, well, wait till you have kids, wait till you have kids. I am now learning with two little children. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old that they don't care that the game went into double overtime last night. <laughs> They're going to come bursting in your room no matter what. So this is a whole new level of playoffs for me, but I don't care. I absolutely love it. We've got two days of playoff hockey already in the books, and we've got so much to talk about because day one had a couple OT games, as I mentioned. You had you know superstars finding the back of the net. Day two, all about the road teams. Lower seed wins each and every game on the road in game number one. Uh, in fact, six of the eight series had the road team uh, winning game one. And of course, we got four more tonight. So guys, we did this last year during the show. We're going to do it this year. We're going to hit every single series, everything that happened last night, everything that happens tonight and get your opinions because I feel like every single series has some sort of storyline. Um, <laughs> let's start with the Leafs. Um <laughs> I, I can't believe what I watched last night in game one against the Tampa Bay Lightning, a team they've known they were going to be playing since literally last year, since December. It was pretty much locked in. They were going to take on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Blinked, and suddenly the Lightning are up 3 nothing. The fans are booing after 20 minutes. They fought back to make it 3-2, and then Tampa responds with three unanswered goals without the Leafs registering a shot. Um I can't believe how the Leafs looked early on in this game. They looked nervous. They were coughing up pucks. They were soft. They were everything bad. I didn't have anything good to say about this Leafs after the first 20 minutes. And the Lightning looked like the team that has been awesome over the last five years. We'll get to the finer points, like certain hits and stuff uh, and disallowed goals in a minute. But guys, your, your initial thoughts on what you saw from the Buds yesterday. Russo, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, not a good start to them, but, uh, you know, it, maybe that's a good sign because it does seem like sometimes in their playoff losses, they start really, really well and then flame out. And maybe this will be the complete opposite and they'll rebound. Um, you know, it, it was it re was really shocking. And I do think that it was kind of almost laughable because of the hype around the Leafs that, that everybody uh, was not not only picking the Leafs, but to just walk over the lightning in the series. But we're, we're acting like uh, like, I mean. 
every every article that we've had in the athletic, every unnamed GM and executive and everything like that. It was almost like, why should the lightning show up? And then all of a sudden, the lightning step foot on that ice surface, and you realize why they've been to the Stanley Cup final three years in a row and why they've won a couple cups. So, um, you know, they 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 go for the dagger. They know how to win. And, um, you know, it was interesting when they cut it to 3-2 last night, they shot to the GM's booth and Dubas gives a little tap on the shoulder to Jason Spezza with all like, we're back. And next thing yeah. you know, you blink and, and the game is over again. So, um, you know, I, I think they have what it takes to rebound, but man, do they have to get better goaltending, Jesse? Yeah, to uh, to go along with what Mike said and tap my pat myself on the back a little bit here, like Kyle Dubas did. Uh, <laughs> I, I was the only person to pick the Lightning in Game One, so we do our athletic uh, picks, and I'm the defending champion, by the way, of last year's playoffs. And I could not believe it. I was the only one to pick Tampa. I was like, "Wow, you guys are going to give me a one nothing lead right off the bat." Um, so yes, it, the Lightning have the better goaltending, and you know where I'm going with this. Top goalies in the playoffs in a, a goal saved above expected this season. Linus Olmark, Ilya Sorokin, Connor Hellebuck, Igor Shosturkin, Andre Vasilevsky, Philip Gustafson. Only one of those goalies has lost a playoff game so far, and that's Ilya Sorokin. The Islanders weren't able to pull it out. But we, Rob, you mentioned the road teams are winning. The road teams have had the goalie advantage in just about every game in in these in these playoffs. Um, you look, and I, I'm not saying that that's the only reason the Lightning won because Vasilevsky did not have to be spectacular. The 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 the, the Lightning were the better team, but man, what a what a stinker for Samsonov and and the Leafs are already wondering if they should put Wall in. I've seen on social media that might just be Toronto Twitter doing what Toronto Twitter does, but. Not a good start if you're if you're wondering who you're going to play in net after one playoff game. Um, you've got to win a lot of games to win the Stanley Cup. If you're questioning the goaltending decision after one, uh, it's definitely not a good sign. Look, any anywhere else in the league, perhaps all putting Joseph Wall in the third period does is say, "Okay, Sheldon Keefe is thinking this game is done. Let's rest right. him up. If we're gonna do, if we're gonna have a long run, he's gonna play a lot of hockey. So let's give anywhere else. But in Toronto, it's all of a sudden: Are we going to see Wall in Game Two? And Sheldon Keefe was asked about that. He said it's too early to start bringing up any of that. That's a matter of this game is done. Why am I going to keep my only healthy quote unquote starter between the pipes? Um, there was a lot last night. Victor Hedman leaving the game, I think, is is so huge in that. It's a completely different series if he has any sort of serious injury. And I feel like maybe he does it because we're not hearing much. We're recording this, obviously, in the morning. But if he's gone, this series just turns on its head, doesn't it, Russo? Yeah, I mean, and and they lost Chernak last night. So now, yeah. you know, they were down to 4D, two, two rook, three rookies, right? Two rookies. Um, and I think, I think it is, it does change the complexion of the series that both those really good defensemen are, are out. And obviously Hedman is, is world-class. Um, you know, there is, uh, you know, they're going to need probably, uh, to do a little bit of reevaluation today on both those players. Um, you know, the Chernak one is obviously, um, you know, worrisome just because we know it's a head injury and if he's in concussion protocol, I don't see him playing, um, a game or two at a minimum. And uh, the Hedman one, just because silence sometimes is 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 deafening, uh, I think is a huge, huge concern. And and uh, you know you hate to say it like that, but could get the Leafs right back in the series if they uh, if they get to play six more games against the Lightning without those two. 
Yeah, it's huge. Um, I think mainly because of the position they play. You look at this Lightning team and how stacked they've been, right? Like they're the two Stanley Cups in a row, two Stanley Cup finals in a row. Every year, it feels like they're we they've had to chip away at that roster a little bit because of the salary cap, and it's they just get a little bit worse, a little bit worse, and they lose Ryan McDonough. And all year, I thought that was the biggest difference in this team, not only because of how good McDonough was, but because it forced Victor Hedman to play those big defensive minutes that normally McDonough would handle. And now all of a sudden, your biggest offensive weapon is being asked to do more. And he's and he just wasn't he didn't have the big offensive numbers. It's why he wasn't in the Norris conversation this year, because he had to take on those minutes. Now, all of a sudden, if you're without him and Chernak, this team there, I thought the weakness was already the blue was already the blue line in comparison to the stacked ones they had before. So you take those two out, you you're playing against the Leafs team that yes, they struggled, but man do they got a lot of offensive firepower. I I think it would be a I like I I picked Tampa in game 1. I think if Victor Hedman doesn't play another game in this series, the Lightning are in big big trouble. Uh real quick, we're talking about Chernick right now. Um the bunting hit is what put him out of the game. As I said, as of this recording, we don't know if he's been suspended yet. He will have a hearing. Any guesses on this, guys? Before we move on to the next series, Jesse, does he does he get a, does he get a game? I hate, yeah, I hate guessing how many games, but it definitely seems suspension worthy. It was an illegal hit, and it knocked the guy out of the game. So yeah, probably. And they do usually have a calculation, uh, you know, uh, in in the Two playoffs where yeah, and so I, I think he gets a game, probably not more than that. Um, but it was it was a dirty hit. I mean, this was this was um, you know he he. To me, it looked like he intentionally launched himself right into the guy's head, um, you know, from inches away. So he knew where he was going. What I was shocked at is him going crazy in the press, in the penalty box during the uh, during the major review, screaming at Wes McCauley, uh, which is never going to do you good. Um, and I don't know what he could have been arguing about. I mean, you know, that was that was clear as day. Yeah, it was crazy. It was terrible timing too. The Leafs had gotten themselves back in the game. It was four yeah. two. The crowd was back. It was in selfish. It. You're going to do that? It was. It really was. It was just the, just a stupid penalty. Anyways, yeah. Let's move and, on, and guys. Just a, real right. quick on on bunting. You know, they they were going after him, so I know he was frustrated. You could see it, right? He got hit in the corner, um, and I think that was definitely a retaliatory play. Um, and I, I just think that bunting. We we've talked about it on the show a bunch of times. He's a bad reputation with the officials. I mean, it, it's that simple. And so they keep an eye on him. Um, they don't give him the benefit of the doubt when he goes down because he's gotten he's earned such reputation as an embellisher. And, um, you know, uh, that one, I think they got the call right. Moving on. Game one of the Hudson River rivalry was well pretty one sided. Rangers took a four nothing lead and that was pretty much it. Uh, Kreider with a couple of goals now has more playoff goals than any Ranger in history, which I thought was. Given how long the That's Rangers crazy. have been playing this game, uh, he passed Rod Gilbert, uh, also moved into first passing Adam Graves on the all-time power play goals list for the New York Rangers, which is, again, pretty crazy. But um, I'm not going to lie in this one. I had the Devils in game one, <laughs> so I was very wrong. I don't know what Jesse had, but uh, I did not expect a lopsided victory like this. Russo, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I, I think that, it, you know, that that first uh, playoff, you know, obviously there's players on the Devils that have been in the postseason before, but there's a lot of young kids there. And when you haven't done it, I, I think it takes a while, no matter how, how talented you are, how skilled you are, um, you know, how much experience you think you have until you get and the bright lights come on in a postseason game where things are ratcheted up to an unbelievable degree. Um, I, I think that, uh, 
you know, it, it, it's a it's a big learning lesson. So I wasn't shocked that they got awed in uh, game one, and now it'll be interesting to how they respond. I actually picked this as much as I like the Devils to be a pretty quick series for the Rangers because of the very reasons that I laid out. You know, Pete DeBoer said yesterday, um, Jesse's old buddy, um, he had a great analogy about what playoff hockey is like to regular season. He basically said it's like, and um, you know, like almost little league, I think he called it, but but like peewee football at a youth level and then bring it up to NFL level at the offensive line spot, you know, and it's, and it's really, I mean, it's, tr- it's until you watch that bright light go on between, you never understand the difference between the regular season and the postseason. And I think guys like Jack Hughes and he's sure. And those guys probably realize that in game one. Yeah. I could not agree more with everything Russo just said. I also picked the Rangers two and oh, all right. We will, we won't <laughs> talk about my Vegas and Colorado picks. We'll just, just <laughs> ignore, ignore those. Ignore ones. those. Um, yeah. Yeah. But and, and, and honestly, I picked the Rangers for those exact reasons. I think the Rangers learned a lot last year. They had some young players that hadn't been through that. That deep run that they made last year, I thought was super valuable for this team. And now the Devils have to go through it. Um, I expect them to eventually, the light to turn on, the, flip, the, fl- the switch to flip. They're so talented. This is going to be a long series, I think. But I think early on, at least, um, the Rangers have a big advantage just in terms of their young players have been here. They've done it. They have veterans too. That's the other thing. Like you bring in Kane and Tarasenko and yeah, they're great goal scorers, but more than anything, they've won Stanley cups. They like those guys bring a lot of experience into the room too. I just think the, the, the Rangers were more prepared for a game one. Um, and Igor Shesterkin back there. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to play with confidence when you've, when you've, you believe you've got the best goal in the world behind you. So, um, just a really good start for the Rangers. I think the Devils absolutely have the talent to, to make this a really long six or seven game series, but just, they just weren't ready for game one. I think everything you guys both just really alluded to is something that gets forgotten with fans when a team is rebuilding. People think they hear the word rebuild and they think about draft picks. They think about young players. They think, but you have to, you have to go through the playoffs and not necessarily win to learn how to win. We've seen the greatest players in the history of the game do that. Wayne Gretzky went to the Stanley Cup finals and lost to the Islanders before winning four in the next five years. Sidney Crosby went to the Stanley Cup finals, lost to Detroit. Who did they beat in the Stanley Cup final the next year? Detroit. You have to, you have to go through it because like Jesse said, Excuse me, Russo said, it's not the same sport. It really is not. No. Playoffs and, and, and the play, and the regular season, it's like a completely different sport. And you see it. it. You just have to watch five minutes of playoff hockey and say, that's not what I just watched 82 games of. And that's what makes it so great. So, yeah, I, I, still, I still have faith that this Devils team is going to make it at least a series. But, man, did, did the Rangers ever look like they were on a completely – different level last night and i know russo you love when i bring out the crazy stats so i got one from this one adam fox four assists last night just the second defenseman ever to have two four assist games on his playoff resume and the other guy not sure if you've heard of him paul coffee so puts himself in some pretty elite category there um jesse you know i'm going to start with you on this one uh, one of your 0 for 2 picks, Winnipeg, 5-1 winners over the Golden Knights. Vegas won the division first in the West, beat the Jets in all three meetings this year. That didn't mean shit last night. Uh, let's start with you on this one. Just <laughs> what happened? 
What an impressive performance by the Winnipeg Jets. Like they looked awesome last night. Um, I, if you would have told me Winnipeg is going to win game one, I honestly wouldn't have been that surprised, but I would have said Connor Hellebuck stole that game. Um, and that wasn't the case at all. I, I wrote after the game last night. The biggest concern for the Golden Knights is not that they lost. It's that they lost. And the biggest factor in this series for the Jets did pretty much nothing. Connor Hellebuck faced 17 total shots, two in the third period when the Golden Knights were, were pushing, trying to get a comeback. They they managed two shots on goal. Hellebuck was chilling back there. They are going to have to be a lot better if they're going to beat this team. And it was, I was just super impressed with the Jets defensemen and the way they broke the puck out. Vegas beat this team three times in a row in the regular season, 3-0 against the Jets. And they did it by just putting pucks into the corners. And the Golden Knights have a massive forward group. Like their forwards are just big, strong guys. And the Jets have a tiny defensive group for the most part. And they just outmuscled them in the corners. Last night, they tried to do the same thing. And the Jets just moved the puck before the Golden Knights four checkers could get to them. And they made it look super easy. The Golden Knights didn't spend any time in the offensive zone. Um, the Jets looked really, really good. I mean, it, it, there was a lot to like from Winnipeg last night. Um, not saying this series is over by a long shot. Vegas, I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of six years ago, Western Conference final. Winnipeg beat the doors off the Golden Knights in game one. And everyone was like, well, Cinderella, uh, her her carriage has turned into a pumpkin. It's over. And then the Golden Knights won four straight. So uh, this, this series is definitely not like I wouldn't say Winnipeg is the favorite to win the series, but I was super impressed with with the Jets last night. Yeah, I, I agree with you on um, everything there. I think that the um, I think the Golden Knights will be fine, but I actually picked the Jets to upset them this series. And I think one big reason is I just love the way that they played down the stretch. And I give Rick Bonus a ton of credit. You know, they had that loss to San Jose. It was absolutely ugly. He called out everybody. He said he basically said if they think that they're playing hard, they absolutely are not. And they won five of six to end the season. I, I don't include the season finale in Colorado because they they obviously they rested everybody after beating the Wild. But when they came into Minnesota, they ran the doors off the Wild. They dominated the game. They got incredible goaltending for Hellebuck. Um, their defensemen were good. They played tough hockey. Their stars showed up. And they just, to me, look like they picked up their play at the perfect time going in. And this is not your normal I mean, they got a lot of great players on this team, you know, from Wheeler to Ellers to Connor to Shifley, um, you know, um, their back end is so much improved. And then you got the goaltender who, to me, is the biggest concern for Vegas right now because they didn't test him in game one. And you know that he the way that he played down the stretch when they do start to test him, there's a very good chance this guy is going to show up. Um, Hellebuck has proven it before, both, you know, in the regular season and playoffs. And um, I think this is going to be a tough task for for. For Vegas, I think they'll be fine. But as I said, I, I think Winnipeg outlasts them in the series. I I picked this as sort of my upset special in the uh, in the uh, in my in the brackets that we did for the athletic. So truth be told, uh, before the show, I picked up a piece of paper and got a little bit of a paper cut, and I said, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do the show today. Uh, unlike Morgan Barron, who gets 75 stitches to the face and comes back wearing the cage, but comes back and I love his post game interview where it was so yeah guys like what did you expect it's the of course I'm coming back it, it didn't get my eye I'm good took a skate to the face just gruesome when you watch that in slow motion it makes you yeah. cringe but terrifying um, it terrifying is right right near his eye when 
I think every single person and their families were in the crease at the exact same time during that play. Um, Jesse, did you see it, right? Could you see him, you know, something was wrong when that happened? And how shocked are you? What did he look like? Did you see him after the game? Uh, yeah, so I didn't see it. Like, I didn't see his face hit the skate initially because I was watching Brassois, like, fishing around with his gloves trying to get the puck <laughs> out of the crease. Um, but immediately after we saw there was blood all over the ice and we were like, what the hell happened there? Um, so we started looking at the replays and that's when we saw the the replay of it. Um, I, I did see him briefly after the game, but uh, the, the quote of the night was uh, Adam Lowry was asked about it and he goes, yeah, we, we looked at him after and it looked like he got attacked by a shark um, <laughs> and 75 stitches. I didn't even know your face was big enough to get 75 yeah. stitches. Like I'm not a doctor. I didn't like set when I heard 75, I'm like, that, that can't be right. That's like someone yeah. mis- does a typo on Twitter, right? He didn't actually get 75. Yes, he did. And and came back in the brick bonus after the game was saying, yeah, I uh, during the intermission, he was still getting stitched up, like still in the process of, of the stitches being put in. And the trainer said he's laying there getting stitched up, telling them, hurry up. I need to get back on the ice. Like, come on. Can we get these stitches in any faster, guys? <laughs> um, hockey players are insane. Yeah, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I I just can't even imagine it. Um, and then to come back in the game, uh, can't imagine the doctor. That <laughs> it's like you know, I mean, you know, that's the one where you kind of it's your face. It's going to be there forever. You don't want to look like Frankenstein. You want the doctor to do a pretty good job and not be you know, uh, you know, haphazard about everything. And to get seventy five quick stitches and go out there. Um, I remember. Um, um, we were in New York City and Zach Parisi got, uh, got, I think he was a high stick by uh, John Moore, if I remember correctly. And it was gruesome. No, I mean, not 75 stitches, but, but I remember he got these stitches and it was, a, it was a hatchet job. And he went back to Minnesota and got them redone and then had to get plastic surgery because it looked, it was just like a, the worst zipper that you've ever seen. And I think that's part of it. That'd be a great story, Jesse, to get that plastic surgeon that's going to have to like, you know, redo uh, that guy's face. Um, I just can't imagine these guys, the way that they, they, uh, they play through anything. I remember I was covering a morning skate once in, in South Florida and Ole Oaken and was skating around the net. And George Kingston had the butt end of his stick out and as Ole's going around the net, the butt end of his stick, of the assistant coach's stick, went into Ole's mouth and sheared everything out. I mean, it was crazy. It was so gruesome that Mike Keenan ended the morning skate. Ole Oaken goes to the back. We've ne- we then find out that he had to have like two root canals during the day, spent nine hours in a dentist chair between the morning skate and the game, played that night against the Leafs. Marty Robbins was the doctor. I still remember this. Um, and I just, I remember right then, that was my first realization that hockey players are just a different breed, that they play through anything. It's, it's crazy. And, you know, and again, I always equate things to myself. I'm the weakest human being ever. If I have a sore calf, I'm like out for a week. So, uh, so it's, uh, I, I just, it really is amazing um, that you, one could uh, get 75 stitches, as Jesse said, but then two, you know, be on that table, like get it done so I can get back out on the ice and then come back out of the ice like nothing happened. It's it's quite impressive, but I would never do it. Baron comes back out, right? And like you can imagine, like you've got 75 stitches in your face. You'd think your first shift, you'd be like, all right, let me let me like get out there and get my feet underneath me. <laughs> I watched him. He hops over the bench and skates immediately to the puck and throws a hit. Like the first thing he did was go throw a hit. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. I don't want to be one of those guys because we're obviously we're, we're hockey guys. We're hosting a hockey show, but 
they're built differently. And I mean, you see other sports and I'm sure in every sport, there's a story like this, but it just happens over and over again in hockey. And look, you can't tell me he's not going to wake up this morning in a lot of pain. It's going to happen, but it kind of, remember the Boreas Salming stick uh, skate along his over 200 stitches. And they're just like, yeah, when's my next shift? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I just, I, it's amazing. Like I was just, even as you're talking about, I'm like, I'm thinking of guys like Kevin Adams playing with a broken wrist in in the in the 2006 Stanley Cup final, and Mike Madonna. On, I mean, you know, it's just, yeah. uh, it's over and over again. These guys, you know, what what we're seeing right now here in Minnesota with Oli with uh, sorry, Oliok and now Yule Eriksson-Eck is is crazy that this guy's even trying to play right now with what his injury is, and um, it's all pain tolerance with that guy now, um, and. Uh, and I think the Wild are trying to like now that they're up one zero in the series, sort of slow him down. Uh, but it is it. This is just the the breed of a hockey player, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, Mark Stone played last night. He's seventy days removed from his second back surgery in nine months. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just it's dumb. It's just again, it makes us feel like you know when when we're like, oh god, I hurt my foot, and you're like, no, you didn't. You're fine. Yeah. Um, one more game last night, guys. And before we get to it, as the Kraken pick up an historic playoff win, their first ever over the Avalanche, uh, I should mention their general manager, Ron Francis, is going to be uh, joining us in the second half of the show. Actually, Russo and I had an opportunity to speak with him a couple days ago. Uh, so be sure to stay tuned to that. He had a lot of great insight. Of course, being a Hall of Famer, he knows all about playoffs, having won two cups himself. But yeah, Kraken, 3-1 winners over the Avalanche. First ever playoff win in their first game, and they do it against the defending champs. Believe it or not, this is one of those stats, like you said, Jesse, where you hear it, you're like, and you had to think about it, and you go, oh, yeah. It snapped a 10-game first-round winning streak for Colorado. The last two years, they swept uh, in the first round. They swept the Blues. They swept the Preds. Um, And so, yeah, this is the first time they've lost in the first round in a while. And boy, did Philip Grubauer ever look good against his former team. So since I started with a goaltending topic, we got to go to our goaltending expert. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, Philip Grubauer, you look at the regular season stats, he's near the bottom of the NHL in goal saves above expected. He already leads the NHL in the playoffs, though, through one game. Uh, Great stuff. I admittedly didn't get to watch a lot of this game. It was happening at the exact same time that Golden Knights were playing, but the parts I did see, I was like during intermission, I was checking in on it. Seattle looked fast. Um, and like, it's hard to not compare because of the expansion. And like, I know this is their second season, but man, do they look like the Golden Knights did in year one where there aren't any real star players, but they've got like four lines that have second or third line guys that just fly around the ice and they pester the hell out of you. And you feel like you can't breathe because every shift, every time they send guys over the boards they're they're skating fast they're swarming you on the forecheck and it just looked like they overwhelmed the avs a little bit um obviously the avs are super talented we expect adjustments to be made but man the kraken that was a great first punch to throw um to to kind of set the tone for this series we are going to come at you as fast as we can every shift See, I was right last week. Dave Haxtell for the Jack Adams. This guy is unreal. Um, you know, I admittedly didn't see a lot of this game because I was watching Joe Smith uh, do Gangsta's Paradise at a karaoke bar here in Dallas. Uh, so uh, I have that witnessed was, yeah. that before. Yeah, yeah. It was wow. uh, man, did he put on a show? 
he easily top five singers there, but in terms of showman, number one. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun, but uh, it was on in the background. I did watch the game. Every time I looked up, though, you could see McKinnon was trying to just make something out of nothing. He was there was one shift I even tweeted about it. He looked like a man possessed, and obviously it didn't amount to um, you know a, a goal of and obviously a victory. And so I think that they're going to be fine, um, but good for Seattle. I think this is uh, just so impressive what we're seeing from the Kraken this year. We, we we've talked on last week's show guys about how this team really had to um you know uh, uh build their team very differently than the vegas golden knights i think a lot of teams learned their lesson the way that george mcphee essentially fleeced them there and it made things a lot harder for ron francis and we'll be talking to ron in a couple minutes but i think ron really held to his guns as well he had certain prices that if he was gonna um you know make trades with you uh, you had to meet, and I think a lot of that had to do with first-round picks, and teams weren't re- willing to meet it. And unlike Vegas, he didn't make a single trade, but they built the team in a different way. They have an incredible blue line, um, very deep up front, um, You know, went out, spent some money in free agency, and goaltending was my biggest concern going into the playoffs. It would still be my biggest concern, but if Grubauer is going to continue to be like that, man, is uh, this going to be a pretty good series. I still think that Colorado is going to wake up from their little slumber there. They were so good down the stretch, guys, and I just think this is going to be a little bit of a wake-up call. And big shout-out to Joe Smith, who's an educated fool with money on his mind. He's got a 10 in his <laughs> hand and a gleam in his eye. All right, guys, four more games tonight. So let's uh, go through these and a little more of a rapid <laughs> rapid fire style because, man, we could talk about these forever. Um, Islanders and Hurricanes, Carolina with a 2-1 win in game number one. Pretty much what we expected, at least for myself. Tight, low-scoring affair. Jesse's always talking about the Canes making goalies look great because they play so well defensively. Uh, look good on the PP. They were number two uh, in that this year, in the PK, excuse me, and um, – Antti Ranta got the start in game number one and and, and also looked good. Uh, Russo, what do you expect from game two? Um, I expect uh, another tight game. Uh was surprised. I don't know what you guys felt about Antti Ranta getting that start in game one. Um, but, man, uh, um, you know, Carolina, um, they're going to have to play this style, I think, without some of the guys that they are missing. Um, you know, I as as Jesse and I have talked about a couple times with you, Rob, on the show, I would have loved to have seen Boston and New York Islanders go in that first round just to see the fear of God put into the Bruins with Sorokin. But yeah. man, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I I still think that a lot of us, um, you know, critics out there that maybe discounted Carolina because of the loss of Patrick and Svechnikov um, do forget that there are a lot of great players on that team, and they have a sensational coach. Uh, their blue line is tremendous. And uh, I think that they're going to make this uh, series pretty quick. Yeah, Carolina's so deep, and and you mentioned the blue line; like they just don't give up anything. Um, like we think of Brent Burns as like the offensive guy, almost a forward playing defense back there. But just like I was, I was looking at a lot of numbers um, for research for like Norris voting this week. And I was blown away by how good Brent Burns defensive numbers are this year. Like he has really stepped it up in that category. Um, And I thought he was brilliant in game one. Um, The Islanders, I mean, I mentioned earlier, Sorokin's the only goalie in the top six in goal saved above expected to lose his first playoff game. He was very good. I just don't know if the Islanders are going to be able to give him the run support he needs to win games here. Um, I expect him to be good. I expect the Hurricanes to struggle to put up more than two or three goals in a game. I just don't know if the Islanders can score two or three. 
Um, and and not because they they can't get one by Antti Ranta. They just can't get into the offensive zone. Like the Hurricanes yeah. are so good in the neutral zone. When they're in the offensive zone, they hold the puck forever. They just don't give you chances to score. The best defense is a good offense. If you don't have the puck, you can't do anything with it. I just I have a hard time finding a route for the Islanders to no. get back in this series because they just can't get through the neutral zone and can't hold the puck for any extended amount of time. Yeah, Barzell looked like he was working his butt off the other day to try to create offense, and uh, that was as good as I've seen in a long time. But you know, they've got to they've got to go north south more. I mean, Barzell sort of brings the game to an east west level, and and uh, the way yeah. that you're going to beat Carolina is to get in there and go to work. And um, you know, it's just going to be tough sledding against that team. The Bruins continued their winning ways, three one in game one against Florida. Pasternak and Dabrowski scored. Brad Marchand scored his fiftieth career uh, playoff goal on a goal that had some stink to it. Let's be honest; that, that should not have gone in. Um, no Bergeron in game one. The Bruins have some apparent bug going through their dressing room, so we'll have to see. Um, you know, sometimes you, it's like when someone in your family gets sick and you feel fine. Yeah. And you're like, oh god, am I going to get sick in two or three days? That might be the case with the Boston Bruins, but same old Bruins in this one. Jesse. They're so good that their best player, captain, whatever you want to call him, Patrice Bergeron, is out of game one of the playoffs. And it was just like, eh, no big deal. Oh, Patrice huh. will take tonight off. We'll just cruise to a game one victory. No threat at all from the Panthers. Um, without Patrice Bergeron, this team is insanely good. Um, we can keep this one short because the Bruins are just too good. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I look, Alex Lyon played actually really, really well the other day. He made he some did. unbelievable saves, but he gave up some some real stinkers. And I got to think they'll obviously come back with him again. Um, but, you know, it's just, I don't know, it just says so much about that team that that you have, uh, what, a, a $10 million goalie that you're not even willing to use right now in the playoffs. Um, and obviously a lot of uh, a lot of good talent on that team. I got to think that we're going to see a much better Florida team. I think we'll see Matthew Kachuk come out there and try to make some uh, some noise and some mayhem in that game. Um, but the Bruins are, I mean, this this team is just a machine. And uh, I would be beyond shocked if they uh, get bounced before the Eastern Final. One more quick thing about this. They were so good this season, and then they only added to it with getting someone like Tyler Bertuzzi. To me, that was such a good acquisition. And the fact that two assists in game one, when he stole Nick Cousins' stick, I, I was <laughs> laughing out loud because and took I've it to the bench. <laughs> yeah, I've seen players do that before in the past, before <laughs> sticks and technology for stick making became amazing. And they snap the stick and they give it back. He tried snapping it and couldn't break the stick. It and he's just like, all right, well, I'll just keep it over here then. <laughs> yeah, you want to you, you look up a really good YouTube video? Uh, we were in Anaheim once in Minnesota. Bobby Ryan ripped the stick out of Miko Koivu's hands and scored with it. And scored with it. Yeah. And I love yep. when he kind of shows him like, this is yep. your stick. Um, yep. Actually, didn't didn't Koivu steal his stick? That's what and happened. Then and then he was like, he, all right, well, I'm going to pick up your stick and use your yep. stick then. Uh, yep. And then scores with it. Yeah, Just that's incredible. Yep. Uh, Russo, you know, I'm starting with you on this one. Uh, Minnesota 3-2 winners over Dallas in game one in double OT. So we had our first quote unquote marathon game of the playoff. Ryan Hartman. Uh, scoring at 1 a.m. local time. Uh, your thoughts on game number one and what turned out to be just an insane goaltender's duel? Yeah, it was an insane goaltender's duel, and it was just a really a fabulous hockey game. Um, you know, if you watched that game, if you were able to stay up that late, I think you were extremely entertained. If you were a wild fan, you were probably, you know, uh, getting sick at times during the first and second overtime. 
and and part of the third period. The Wild started outstanding. Uh, were dominant five on five the first two periods, and then Dallas came and pressured, and Philip Gustafson was just sensational. The penalty kill gave up two goals in nine seconds. So their penalty kill was on the ice for nine seconds. They gave up two goals, but then they have to kill one late in the third to get to overtime, and then had to kill one in both the first and second overtime. Um, obviously, uh, scary incident there with Matt Dumba and, and Joel Pavelski, and we're hoping that he's all right. I just saw that Dallas called up Riley Tufty, a local Minnesota guy, a great guy, Nick Bukestead's best buddy, actually. Um, so we'll see if he gets into the game tonight. But uh, I expect that Dallas uh, will push back hard tonight and uh, probably hunt Matt Dumba a bit. Yeah, I, I jokingly wrote before this series in, in our like predictions piece, uh, these two teams combined for 55 overtime games uh, during the regular season. So we can pretty much guarantee double OT in every game. And sure enough, we got it in game one. Uh, I, I'm sorry for your early flight tomorrow, uh, Michael, but it looks like it's happening again tonight. Uh, um, I am already at the point where I feel bad for Jake Ottinger. I know he's only been in the NHL a couple years, but I'm getting pretty sick and tired of watching the Dallas Stars waste brilliant performances by this guy in net. Last year, that series they lost to Calgary. I don't know if there's ever like maybe Dominic Hasek when he was on bad Sabres teams. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a better goalie performance in a loss in a playoff loss than Ottinger to Calgary last year. And now we're only one game into this playoffs and he's already got the best performance in a loss by any goalie in the league. Um, he was brilliant. Obviously, Gustafson was brilliant on the other end. Um, just really good, close hockey. And these two teams, just the way they play it feels like these games, even if they don't go to overtime, they're obviously not all going to. Well, maybe. Um, it just feels like these games are going to come down to the wire with good goaltending, tight checking games. Uh, it's it's fun to watch. Honestly, I had such a good time watching that game. I know Michael was probably <laughs> not as entertained working it, but it was great. Jesse, just real quick, you mentioned goaltending. What do you think of Philip Gustafson? I mean, this is not any fluke anymore. 51 saves. Um, I think fifth goalie in NHL history to get 51 saves in his, in his Stanley Cup playoff uh, uh, debut. Um, you know, somebody that this is, again, not a fluke from November 19th on. He is one hundredth of a percentage point in goals against average and basically, I think, the same in save percentage. Um, behind Linus Olmark. I mean, he, you know, he's not going to get a ton of Vesna votes, but he put Vesna numbers up this year and gets to start over Flower. Yeah, he was really good. What stands out to me about his game is how compact he is. Like, you hear goalie coaches a lot of the time say, like, you're getting too loose, your elbows aren't tight. Like, if you're going to score on Gustafson, you've got to go around him. Like, you're not going to get a puck through him. His positioning is so good. He's so compact and, like, it's easy to be compact when you're in position, but when you've got to make that slide across the crease and it's a one-timer, like he doesn't open himself up and expose himself. He's just so controlled. Um, he's like just very technically sound young goalie. Um, he's, he's a lot of fun to watch. And, and I agree with you. I don't think, I think at this point we can say it's, it's not a fluke. Just a stat to back up Jesse's point on Ottinger. Last two playoff games, he's made 109 saves and they're 0-2. A hundred and nine saves, and they are O and two. Little help, guys. Little help. And finally, man, this this Edmonton Oilers team—they just love giving people like us stuff to talk about. They were cruising in the first period. They looked like the Edmonton Oilers team. A lot of people, like myself, have picked to make a deep run and possibly win the Stanley Cup. Um, up to nothing, like I said, cruising. 
and the Kings just would not go away. End up tying the game with 16 seconds left, winning in overtime. I think Edmonton was shocked. I think their fans are shocked. Uh, Drysidle afterwards said we need to be, quote, more mature. And when he was asked to elaborate, he said, we've got a two-goal lead with eight minutes left. That We have to lock that down. How concerning is a blown lead like this for a team that um, a lot of people have picked to go to go really, really far? Russo. I think the LA Kings are like the most like forgotten about team in this postseason. I mean, they That's were true. really, really good this year um, and really, really good down the stretch. And they did a lot of this without Kevin Fiala, who was brilliant in the first uh, you know three quarters of the year for them. Um, but, you know, I, I really still think that we're going to see the best of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl now. I mean, those two guys have the ability to take that team and put it on its back. Um, you know, again, I go back to the NHL media tour that I that I worked um, back in September. Um, and, you know, there was no more motivated player there to uh, to reach the status of Nathan McKinnon than, than Connor McDavid. I mean, he talked on and on and on about that being that series and watching McKinnon and, and Landeskog and Rantanen and McCarr and all those guys. One beat them and then go win a Stanley Cup would be a motivating factor this year and something that he wants to uh, ascend to. And I think they will. But to Leon's point, they've got to be better. And, you know, the the big problem up in those Canadian markets, especially, you know, uh, with what went on with Toronto and Edmonton, is that now you got the outside noise coming in. And, and uh, you know, that's the type of stuff that you're going to have to to worry about is sort of the ghosts of this right now. And, and uh, they're going to have to really tone that out and just really focus on, on uh, getting a split here before moving the series. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like there's two ways to look at it. It's Edmonton was the better team, like no question. They were the better team in that game. So it's like, do you feel good that, well, we're the better team. Like eventually that will shine through or, or do you say, wow, we played a great game and still didn't beat them. Um, I and, and if you're the Kings, you say that was not our best game. We can play much better than that. And we still got to win on the road. Um, they held Connor McDavid to about as quiet of a game as you'll ever see from him. And I said going into this series, I think L.A. is I was like kind of breaking down all these specific teams, obviously covering Vegas. And I, I said, I'm like, I think Vegas might be better than L.A., but L.A. for sure is a better matchup to the Oilers because the Oilers have got this two headed monster. Is there a team in the league with a better one-two punch at center to shut someone down than Anze Kopitar and Philip Deneau? I mean, these guys are as good defensively as you can possibly ask for. And sure enough, Dreisaitl had some moments where he looked really good. But for the most part, at five on five, those Kings top two lines were able to neutralize Edmonton's top two lines. And if they can do that, they don't even have to win the matchup. Just kind of be close in the matchup, and the Kings' bottom six is stronger. So the Kings' depth will take over. I think there's a lot to like from the Kings, um, and e- even though they were outplayed for the majority of that game, it's funny. I was talking to some Vegas players in the room because like they didn't play on the first night of the playoffs. I was like, did you stay up and watch the games? And a couple of the guys were like, yeah, I was watching the Edmonton game, and then they were up 3-1 and they were dominating so much in the second period that I was like, I'm going to switch over to Minnesota, like Dallas, like this game's over. And then you look back and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. They lost? What What the hell happened? Um, very, if, if you're Edmonton, I can see concern in that. As long as LA can stay out of the box, because right. this this team's power play, as we know, greatest power play percentage in the history of the game, um, they they have a shot at this. And I really saw that in game one where, like like you said, They've got players on their team like a Kopitar who know that if you stick around and you keep yourself within striking distance, you have an opportunity to, to, to pull one out. 
and they did. Ayafalo was the hero in that one after a disallowed goal uh, by the Oilers. I think game two is going to say a lot. It's going to be really, really interesting. And I'd, I'd like to see Edmonton make a bit of a statement. Like, even if they're, I'd like to see them pile on to kind of get that that confidence back, but we'll see. Uh, what we will see and hear is uh, Ron Francis, the general manager of the Seattle Kraken. Russo and I had an opportunity to talk to him uh, a couple days ago. We're going to play that tape in the second half, and I'll tell you why Jesse wasn't there. He's lazy, so don't go anywhere. Okay, so Mike, last year at this point, the Seattle Kraken were wrapping up their debut season. 27 wins, 60 points, just like you and I are getting ready to watch the playoffs on TV. Uh, this year, not so much. And that's what a 40-point improvement will do. 100 points, ticket to the dance, and the man who put the team together joining us on the show, Seattle GM Ron Francis. Thanks so much for doing this, Ron. My pleasure, Rob. Happy to be here. What a difference a year makes. Uh, do you remember what you were doing last year at this point versus what Ron Francis <laughs> is doing this year, you know, as the as the playoffs are kicking off? The, the disappointing exit uh, meetings at this point last year, but <laughs> no, it's been, it's certainly been a lot more fun, uh, you know, this year. And it's, um, you know, it's great to see the guys smiling and laughing and, you know, on the buses and on the planes and at practice. So, um you know, happy for them and happy for our coaching staff and, the, and our fans in the city to, to have this opportunity to compete in the playoffs. It's great. Ron, have you even exceeded your expectations? You know, last year, uh, a couple of years ago, you're putting together this team and it, it felt like you had a lot more challenges than, than obviously Vegas, maybe because of some of the precedents of all the trades that they were able to make. Um, and you went a different route in building this team. Um, did you ever envision that year two that you would be sitting in this spot? No, yeah, I think uh, I think I thought I saw year one going maybe a little bit better than it did, and probably year two not <laughs> going as well as it did. You know, I, I said to some people last year, Mike. I mean, you know, it sounded probably like an excuse at the time, but we had 19 one goal game losses last year. We had seven more that were one goal games that became two with empty net goals. So basically, 26 one goal games and 52 points. Um, you know, it just seemed for whatever reason we couldn't get the goal when we needed it. We couldn't get the save when we needed it. But I felt we were a better team than maybe our record indicated last year. Uh, certainly going into the second season and all the changes we had made leading up to it, getting some guys back healthy, we had hoped to uh, certainly be better than where we were. But, you know, did I see a 40-point increase coming? I'd be lying if I said I did. <laughs> you know, Ron, your team just baffles me in such a good way in that, you know, you're the fourth high scoring team in the NHL this season. And yet you don't have a, a player in the top 50 in scoring, which, you know, 13 different double digit goal scorers. It kind of makes you shake your head as to how you could do it. But just how important was was how deep your team was. And it, it just the chemistry and everyone knowing they had to pull their weight and there wasn't that top line or that's that superstar scorer to kind of bail you out when you're in trouble. Yeah, no, I mean, we don't have a player in our team making six million dollars, which is probably not the norm in the NHL. Um you know, we don't have that so-called bona fide superstar at this point. I think certainly Maddie Beneers has a potential to get to that level. Um, but, you know, we're, we're deep and and the guys just kind of bought in, right? They they work hard for each other. They're willing to accept and do whatever it takes to be successful. They don't really care who gets the the success or the goal kind of thing. And, and we've had contributions up and down the lineup. You know, anytime you get 13 guys with 10 goals and multiple guy with 30 plus points, I mean, you know, you have a chance to be successful. And, and I think that's sort of carried over uh, to the success of our season this year is just contributions up and down the lineup. 
We we obviously know uh, Dave Haxtell well in the here in the Midwest uh, from his days uh, with an ex- exceptionally good UND program. What what attracted you to him, and what about his coaching style has really um, assisted this team to get to the point that it is right now in the playoffs? Yeah, so Dave, Dave and I first uh, got to know each other a little bit in 2019 World Championships over in uh, in uh, Slovakia. Um, and we actually did a pre-scout together where we drove from from Austria up to uh, Czechoslovakia to to watch a game and you know spend some time in the car just sort of talking hockey and just sort of watched how he handled himself over the um, the course of that tournament. It wasn't easy for him. He wasn't the guy on the bench. He was the eye in the sky, but just really a true professional, hardworking guy. And you look at his resume, what he did in North Dakota and. You know, I know Philly Philly took a lot of heat, but I think three of the four years he made the playoffs. And then Toronto, he's working under Babcock and in a pretty good organization there. So, um, you know, just when we're looking for the piece, I thought he was the good guy. He's very organized, very detailed. And I felt our situation was going to be a little bit different than Vegas. And, you know, you draft your expansion team and and basically like, you know, uh, two months later, you're starting. So we have to move all those players, all their families, their cars, their dogs, you name it, into – Seattle in a short period of time and Dave has to get to know all our players and try and understand, you know, uh, what they're all about and then teach a system. Um, you know, I think nobody saw COVID coming. Uh, we had to deal with that, which is kind of unique. And that sort of affected us last year. We had to shut down all our team gatherings and kind of get to know each other a little bit better. Um, but I thought, you know, from start to finish, as tough as that season was, he and his staff were true professionals. They never changed who they were, what they were trying to accomplish, and still tried to get the guys to buy in and compete. And I thought our team did that right to the end, even though our record, uh, you know, wasn't as well as we had hoped it would be. Ron, does he get enough credit? I mean, we we had a debate on our show last week about Jack Adams and who who we thought should have won. And Mike, it might have been you who brought up Haxtell, and all of us kind of went like, "Oh yeah, like look at what this team has done. Look at this improvement." Um, and maybe it's because, you know, it's not necessarily the team that has the Connor McDavid or bona fide superstar, but what he's done with your team certainly warrants at least consideration for that Jack Adams, doesn't it? I, I would certainly think so. And, and maybe even more so because we don't have those kind of bona fide superstars in our lineup, right? To get get the whole team to buy in and do that and, and do it over the course of 82 games. Um, you know, I think people thought maybe we'd be better than we were last year, but I don't think there's many people. And as I said, myself included, that saw us putting up a 40 point increase. So, uh, you know, Dave and his staff certainly got to get a lot of that, uh, that credit as well. Uh, Ron, uh, you, you all are known for your, uh, you know, your expertise with analytics and, and, um, and all the advanced stats and things like that. I know you hired Alex right out of the gate. I know her well from, from her days here in Minnesota, and it feels like she's made quite an impact on your team as well as your rest of your, your front office. How much does that influence a lot of your decision makings on, on a team that was just, you know, here three weeks ago in Minnesota that, that to me looked like one of the deepest teams that we've seen in the National Hockey League, both up front and on the blue line. Yeah, actually, uh, it might have been that Alex hired me, Mike. Uh, she was she was here <laughs> before me, uh, yeah. and, and they she was helping them recruit in the GM process with no guarantees that she would be given a job after. But um, you know, once I was hired, we sat down, had conversations, and it became pretty apparent uh, very quickly to me that uh, she was worth uh, trying to convince to sign on and. I'm happy that I didn't scare away, but uh, she's been she's <laughs> been great. Um, you know, I think um, for me, it's kind of a cooperative effort, right? We have pro scouts, we have amateur scouts, we have an R and D staff, we have 
you know, a management team, we have a coaching staff and, and, you know, I, I like to sort of working in a cooperative way where everybody has a say and an opinion. And, you know, at the end of the day, we got to make the final call, but uh, certainly Alex with the, uh, with her knowledge, uh, not only R&D, but the game has been very valuable to uh, our, our process and our success to this point. Uh, Ron, you mentioned Matt Beniers. Uh I don't think anyone would really argue with him being the front runner by a long shot for the Calder Trophy. I saw an interesting stat, though. He never once this year won the Rookie of the Month award, uh, which <laughs> is interesting <laughs> because I don't know anyone who's going to vote against him, but does that just maybe – shine a light on his consistency he'd never had any of those peaks and valleys he's just was good from game one on yeah no you know you go back to last year we brought him in for the 10 games i'd be lying if i said i thought those 10 games are going to go as well as they did um and then as a gm you're constantly worrying right so now he's going to go home he's had the success is he really going to train as hard as he needs to train but this kid is a true pro he comes in and training camp and from day one you know he's an engine for our team he doesn't take a day off whether it's practice or a game he competes hard every night. You know, you're worried this is his first time going through 82 games and the, and the you know, the travel, especially on the West Coast, being a little harder. Is he going to have that dip? Is he going to get tired? Um, you know, there might have been small little uh, signs of that, but overall he's maintained it for the course of 82 games. Interesting that he wasn't rookie of the month uh, ever during the season, but uh, I have to agree. I think he's a strong candidate uh, to win that at the end of the season. Another young stud that you guys have is uh, Shane Wright. And I remember back in uh, November, I did a story uh, when Seattle was in town talking to uh, both Shane and Maddie Beneers right before you uh, sent him back to junior, Dave Haxtall as well. Um, talk about the path uh, that you've div- uh, created for his development path. And, and you know, I, I always got a kick out of people from the outside that aren't in your organization criticizing the way that you guys were, were uh, you know, that development path when, you know, I, I thought it was always hilarious that, that people just felt like that, uh, you know, maybe Ron Francis and Dave Haxtell didn't know what was best for this kid. Well, it's a good thing I don't read those articles, so I wasn't too worried <laughs> about them. But uh, no, I mean, you mean the same thing with Maddie. You look at the player and you say, is it best for him to step out or step back in? We let him go back to Michigan last year, try for a national title. When it didn't happen, at that point, we felt strongly that it was the right time to bring him out and get him in the 10 games. And, you know, uh, he's certainly uh, taken it and kind of run from there. In Shane's case, there's no really easy way, right? In a perfect world, you could put him in the American Hockey League if we were allowed to, but we weren't. So our choice is junior hockey or the NHL. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he got five exhibition games at the NHL level. He got eight games during the regular season. So 13 pro games there. He got to go play in the top junior tournament of the world, be captain for Team Canada, win a gold medal there. And he got back to play in the junior. And now that their season's done, he's back in, in Coachella playing in the American Hockey League. So um, it's a process. Everybody takes sort of a different path. But um, at the end of the day, what we have in mind for Shane is what we think is best for him and best for the organization long term. We've had you know numerous conversations, all points during the season with Shane and his agent and his family, making sure that they understand why we're doing certain things. And um, so everybody on the inside and on the know is is very comfortable with the process we've taken, and um, you know we're comfortable with what we've done with him to this point. Has there been discussions uh, at GM meetings or just with the league about maybe altering that rule in some way, shape, or form? Well, I think every GM would love to have it happen. I think that's probably one of those things that you have to uh, collectively negotiate, you know, as a league and 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 with the the junior league. So I understand their point too. It's not a not an easy uh, easy resolution, but uh, you know, selfishly, yeah, we would certainly like that. 
Ron, we, uh, we always talk about the old Hartford Whalers uh, connection. I mean, it's just amazing number of scouts, coaches, GMs that played for those teams uh, back in the day. What is in the water there? What, what, <laughs> why are there so many people that, uh, that, that have you know, excelled in a next career in the National Hockey League? Yeah, it's hard to really put one thing on it. For me, it was we kind of a lot of us grew up at the same time, right? We're young guys coming through the league and kind of getting to understand it. Um, you know, if you remember back in the day, we played in the mall, um, which on one front, you know, was great for us because, you know, post practice, we could get together and have lunch or, you know, post game. A lot of times we went to was a place called Chuck Steakhouse. We get a back room. So all the guys and their wives and girlfriends would be in there. And, having a bite to eat and a couple of beers and talking hockey, right? So we always seem to sort of have those discussions and, and talk a lot about the game, had a lot of passion for the game. And I'm not surprised that, uh, you know, a lot of us have continued into the game just because of how much we loved it and, and uh, you know, sort of grew up talking about it through that those early stages of our careers. Uh, speaking of talking about the game, one topic that seems to come up with guys like us and then also superstars in the league like Sidney Crosby uh, is the playoff format. Um, some people love the divisional playoffs. Some people want to go back to a one versus eight. Uh, I don't know if you'll tell us exactly which side you're on, but, uh, your thoughts on just the playoff format, because it seems as though there are pros and cons for, for each one. Yeah, no, I, you know, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, commissioner Bettman and, and, you know, PV are kind of, kind of, they're going to, they're going to make the decision I think is best for the game. It was kind of, you know, if you're on the outside, you're always saying, hey, we should have nine and 10. And, you know, there's probably not a lot of difference between nine and 10 and, you know, six, seven, eight, especially in today's game with the parody. Here we are, you know, everybody's done except for two hockey games and we still don't know who we're playing and Minnesota doesn't know who they're playing. So, um, you know, it's kind of a crazy setup. I think there's so much parody from a selfish standpoint. You know, we had, uh, I think, 16 teams in the playoffs at 21 teams in the league. And now we're at 32 and we're still at 16. So you always... Hope that maybe you expand that. And when I first heard about the one in baseball, I thought, okay, this is kind of crazy. I don't like it. But now it's kind of been really interesting and in watching that. And, um, you know, the NBA has gone to it. So is that something we go to down the road? Um, you know, I guess you have to ask the commissioner on that one and we'll see what, what he has to say about that. Uh, Ron, you mentioned Minnesota. I got to ask you about uh, wild coach Dean Evison, who you know well from your Whalers days as well. Um, you know, he always talks about how, how, you know, he was a junior star in the, in the Western Hockey League. And but he gets to he gets to all of a sudden he gets to Hartford Binghamton and he sees Ron Francis and Ray Ferraro and he realizes right away I better turn my game to a different type of style. Um, how impressed were you that that this guy that came out of juniors as a scorer was able to sort of transition himself into a you know, gritty, hardworking, defensive, checking center. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of guys that aren't able to 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 make that decision, right? They are asked to play in a third line role or a fourth line role, and in their mind, they're still a top six guy or an offensive guy or a power play guy, and they struggle with it. You know, Dean. Uh, I don't know if he went strictly to, to defensive role, but he, <laughs> you know, he he understood kind of where he was, and and you know, the thing I love about Dean was. And he was just so competitive, right? And you see it now and his emotions on the bench and stuff. He's just a really competitive guy. He hates to lose. And those are the kind of guys you want to play alongside on, on your team. And uh, it was certainly a thrill for me to, to play a few years with him in, in the whale jersey for sure. Uh, Ron, just a last question for you. Uh, I, did, I did want to ask you just one other thing. Uh, you know, year three of an organization here in Minnesota and Florida, the two teams that I've covered, they they – 
went to the one went to the Stanley Cup final, one to went to the Western Conference final, and they had to sort of change their plan uh, because of their early success. Do you see your two? You go into the playoffs that all of a sudden it sort of one changes expectations, but two now the development path of the organization. Yeah, I know in discussions with our ownership, they've been pretty adamant as to how we want to build this. And in our discussions, uh, development is really uh, a key part of our building this organization. So when we get to the level we think we want to be at, we're able to you know maintain it and sustain it over over multiple years. So that's still going to be a key factor in it. Uh, I'd be lying though. I mean, we're certainly in a different position than we were at the end of the last season. So if there are you know, trades or free agents uh, moves that we can make over the over the course of the summer to make this organization better. We're not going to hesitate to do that at all. Ron, we're going to let you go. Luckily, not to go do any exit interviews like last year. This year, it's a little bit different. <laughs> Congratulations on a great season. We appreciate it. Good luck in the playoffs. Thank you, guys. Very much appreciate it. All right. So I promised in segment one that I would tell you why Jesse wasn't there. Just a peek behind the curtain on how shows like this work, guys. Um, during the regular season, our producer, Jeff, will, will more times than not try to get us guests on the day that we record things. And they're usually very accommodating. But during the playoffs, um, you know, it doesn't always break down that way. We, you Basically, if somebody calls our producer and says, hey, he can come on now or tomorrow or whenever we, we accommodate around their schedules. Uh, so our producer, Jeff, had said, hey, guys, can, do you have a few minutes today to, to interview Ron Francis? I said yes in our text message. Russo said yes. And Jesse said yes. Now we do these on Zoom and Russo's on the line. I'm on the line and Ron Francis is on the line. Let me tell you something about Jesse Granger, guys. He's never late. He's always on time. And we're just killing time and killing time. And I could tell Ron Francis looking at his watch. And we text Jesse and Jesse went, oh, shit, you mean today? <laughs> it wasn't even close to being there. So he said, okay, and all I'll remember, Russo, and I'm sure you can back me up on this one. Um, Ron Francis just said, all right, well, screw it. We're moving on without Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, Jesse's out. Jesse, Jesse's out. Uh, I do want to mention, Lots. too, just in case people were wondering why we didn't ask him specifically about Colorado, we did this before. That night they found out they would be facing the Colorado Avalanche. So – uh, like I said, when when a general manager and a Hall of Famer says, I can do the interview right now, we do the interview. But yeah, Jesse, next time, take take a check on your text message to see what time and Love day that the interview's on. I just, I just assumed it was on the normal Wednesday uh, morning. There's a lot going on right now. I'm booking flights to Winnipeg. Not easy. Let me let me tell you, booking flights to Winnipeg. Not easy. Um, it's like I feel like I'm Nicolas Cage in National Treasure trying to get to Winnipeg for this series. There's a lot that comes with this job. Showing up on time is one of them. I love breaking your balls about this because you're never late and you're like one of the most professional guys I know. So the fact that Ron Francis is like, to hell with Jesse, move on. We're doing the interview. I thought was hilarious. Rapid fire coming up after the break. All right, boys, my favorite time of the show and yours, rapid fire. Uh, a lot of this has to do not with the playoffs, and this is why we shoved it into rapid fire, because it's playoff time. Uh, Penguins cleaned house. They relieved president of hockey operations, Brian Burke, GM Ron Hextall, and assistant assistant GM Chris Pryor of their duties. Uh, I think missing the playoffs was the straw that broke the camel's back, obviously, but there are a lot of things you can point to. Uh, as far as reasons go for this sort of house cleaning, your thoughts on what the Penguins did, Jesse? 
Yeah, it's super interesting to me um, what the per- what the people coming in will do because I think when you're the guys already in house, there's so much reason to try to extend that window and say no, 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 we we can still win with this core. I think coming in as someone new, it's much easier to say let's try to rebuild or retool around and, and like really change some things up. I'm not saying that that's the direction they have to go. I just think it's more likely to happen than it would have been with the guys in-house. So I'm super fascinated to see what the Penguins do, who they bring in, and and what they what direction they decide to go with this roster. Yeah, um, the, the only thing I'll say, at the risk of pissing off our colleagues who uh, have been all, <laughs> was all over uh, uh, the end of the Ron Hextall regime for about a month and a half, um, is two years just seems so little for a GM to in, in, implement a plan, especially when that plan is like, you know, keep the core, but rebuild, you know, it's like, like, it's just, you know, it's just hard to do. And obviously Ron, Ron Hextel made a lot of perplexing, um, you know, decisions there, um, you know, and it felt like that a lot of the mistakes that he made in Philly, he did again where he sort of shut out everybody else and it was just him and Chris Pryor making all these decisions and and also not really giving the media time of day and I just never understand that like if you if you you know not that we could be quote unquote bought but if you if you have no relationship at all with the media and don't try to cultivate that they have no reason to pull punches because they got nothing to lose and that's what felt like it went on there and this is all the stuff that Ron Fextall when he was up for the job in Minnesota um, you know, essentially told me that he learned a lot of lessons uh, that was going to, you know, help him in his next job. And it, it clearly didn't. And uh, to last, you know, essentially, what, 26 months in a, in a job as a GM, that's not a lot um, at all. It's, it's almost Paul Fenton-esque. Well, a GM that did have a long time to try to build a winner was Brad Living. We talked about this last week, guys, with the Flames missing the playoffs. They announced that they have parted ways. Uh, of course, this was the last year of his contract, so basically just not renewing it. Uh, Don Maloney is going to be promoted to president of hockey operations and is going to serve as interim GM. Um, Flames went through five different coaches during Trilliving's um, tenure there. But, you know, a lot of people were pumping his tires. I was one of them. When Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk leave, I thought their team borderline improved. I don't know if it's his fault necessarily that the Huberto experiment just kind of fell flat on their face, but uh, we'll start with you on this one, Russo. Calgary, new yeah. GM on the way. Yeah, I mean, this is what I talked about in the last couple of shows is that I was starting to hear that Tree Living was was leaving and it was going to be under his own volition. I, I think that when he turned down that contract extension, I think that said everything that he was sort of looking for an exit plan. I think it screams to the fact that the owner probably is the one that wanted Daryl Sutter there. I think it screams to the fact that the owner is the one and made sure that Sutter got an extension there, and and I just think the tree living was looking to get the heck out of there, and I, uh, and now we'll see where they go from here. Um, it's going to be just really fascinating, uh, you know, when you watch uh, Matthew Kachuk, who put up a Hart Trophy type season uh, down in Florida, uh, succeeding elsewhere, and you give Huberto the big deal before you even, you know, that was the other perplexing thing. Like I, I get taking the long term contract and the money, but when that's that that to me is an alarm when a guy gets traded to a place like Calgary he knows really nothing about the city the organization the arena nothing and just before he really puts boots on the ground signs a mass long 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 time extension um, you know before you even see how it's gonna work I just think that uh, there was a lot of pressure there to get that done and and now they've got a big time problem on their hands yeah big time problem but a super talented team I mean you, like 
you don't see GM's spots open with this much talent on the roster. So um, you have Fair to imagine point. that while there are yeah, some, some obstacles to clear and some big contracts, like you have to get Huberto going. Like yeah. if, if Huberto isn't a, a great player for this team, it is a major problem. But I think there's plenty of GMs out there that say, you know what? I can get that guy playing the, the type of hockey he played in Florida. And there's a, there's tons of talent on that team. They just won the division last year. Um, Yes, they lost some key pieces, but they also brought in some good guys. They 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 got to get Jacob Markstrom going because yeah. that was a huge issue. They they outplayed teams more often than not this season and just got beat in net. And and I I believe Markstrom's a good goalie. You've got to get the best out of him. But I think this is an attractive spot for a GM to land. Um, depending on like the like Mike mentioned the owner situation. Like I don't know the ins and outs of that, and that's obviously a huge factor for a general manager. But in terms of just the roster, have to imagine that this is a a pretty attractive uh, spot to land. Yeah, much less of a, I don't want to say mess, but question mark than, say, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Right. No, like as, it's, yeah, 100%. And as Jesse said, as if, you know, any GM and coach will magically look a lot better if Mark Simpson starts, you know, stopping the puck. And finally, guys, two coaches clearing out their desks. Brad Larson in Columbus was relieved of his duties. Dallas Aikens in Anaheim just not renewing his contract. Uh, your thoughts on these two? Did any one of these surprise you at all, uh, Jesse? Uh, no, but it's also at the same time, it's like, well, what did you expect them to do with these teams? Like, the teams are awful. Um, <laughs> the coach didn't have much to. I mean, I guess in Anaheim, the yeah. expectations were a little higher. They had some young guys that were, they, they seemed to be trending in the right direction. I think maybe some people thought they're going to take another step this year, and they didn't. They definitely took a step back. Um, I can remember when Eakins was in their AHL affiliate and everyone loved this guy and thought he was like the answer. So to me, to give to to say he's not the guy after what, two seasons at, 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 in the NHL, I think maybe a little early, especially on a team that's clearly not ready to compete um, from a roster makeup standpoint. Um, but at the same time, I think we all kind of saw this coming, like the teams weren't winning. They were the two worst teams in the NHL, so I guess you can't be surprised when the coaches get fired. Yeah, Anaheim is one of the more disappointing teams in the league. I mean, they tried to make some significant moves there, and they have a bunch of young kids that just don't seem to be developing, that seem to be love living the life in Southern California, and they got to figure that out right away. Columbus is one. They've, they've got to get going. That market is packs the place. They're so passionate. They want to do well. They want to. They want to see a winner there. And it's just years and years and years of ineptitude, and they've got to figure this out already. Maybe Connor Bedard will be the answer. Um, who knows? But it is just, it's amazing to me, um, you know, how uh, I was saying this to one of my colleagues the other day. Like, could you imagine being Aaron Portsline every single year having to write these death marches down the stretch? It's like in Minnesota, in my 18 years covering, we've never had a team that's been out of it in, you know, March, let alone freaking December every year. And it's just, uh, it's got to change. The fans deserve better there. They have built an incredible arena, an incredible arena district. Everything is perfect except what's on the ice every single year, except for the one year that they shocked uh, at Tampa that essentially led to nothing. And uh, they got to figure it out. It's funny. And I'm just thinking of this now. There's not anything I prepared for, but I feel like every time a generational talent is coming in the next year, the coach that was on the tanking team gets fired. <laughs> It's like, like they use them to with get Mario. Didn't yeah, it happen? When yeah. when did Olchek get fired for when when Crosby yeah. came in after his um, first year? I, 
I feel like these coaches, like, let's pretend Anaheim, who has the best chance now, Bedard, gets Bedard. And your Aikens going, well, yeah. Like, if you, <laughs> now, now I don't get, you know, the, to, to reap the benefit of what right. we did in, in all that losing. <laughs> Mission accomplished. I got us the number one pick. Come on. And then, I did a and then great you replaced me. Job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyways, this is the time of the show, boys. I always ask what you're working on. I think it's kind of a stupid question. If you're doing something weird, raise your hand. Jesse usually are, but I'm assuming it's all playoffs all the time. Am I right? Yeah, no, nothing, nothing weird with uh, goalies or equipment at the moment. It's all, it's all Golden Knights playoff stuff. Yeah. Ditto. Ditto. Well, there you go, guys. Just follow them for all your playoff stuff. And of course, I want to let you know that you can see us if you want to see us do this show uh, on YouTube.com at The Athletic Show uh, and all our big interviews uh, go on there. And of course, everyone's uh, are on there as well. So you can go and check that out if you are a YouTuber. And of course, subscribe to The Athletic if you want to hear us each and every week. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and down goes Brown. Big thanks once again to Ron Francis for telling Jesse to hell with him. Let's move on. For Russo and Jesse, I'm Pizzo. We'll see you next week.